going to pray together. Lord Jesus, these are days of waiting. And we just keep on breathing. We keep resting and waking. We keep eating and shopping and cleaning. But we are at our very core. We are waiting. Come, Lord Jesus. We have lit the candles of hope, of peace, of joy, and now of love, and counting down the days till we celebrate your coming, and longing, too, for the day that you will come again to make all things new. So together, this morning, we say, Lord, hear our prayers. And we pray with so many of the people in the scriptures who waited for you. How long, Lord? How long will we wait for this pandemic to shift? How long will we make plans so tentatively? How long? We long for hope. We long for peace. We long for joy. And we long for your love. Come, Lord Jesus. And in the meantime, while we wait, Lord, would you shape us to be a people who together serve you? Show us how to walk through these days together, finding and offering hope, finding and offering peace, finding and offering joy finding and offering love. Lord Jesus, there is always a place on this earth where the sun is rising. There was always a place on this earth where the day is done and the night is falling. And you are present and you are at work regardless of where the light is. We need you regardless of where the light is. So we pray for the light of your presence in places where people are suffering. We pray for the light of your presence where there is confusion. We pray for the light of your presence where there is evil and destruction. And we pray for the light of your presence where there is love. Lord, would you make us an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us bring love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O oh, Divine Master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is giving that we receive, and it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. So together we pray, Lord, hear our prayers. Lord, we pray for the homes in our communities where the holidays have begun 
where celebrations and games are going late and the good food that we save for these days are being served. Let the celebrations reflect your goodness in our lives, Lord. And we pray for the homes where holidays are not markers of joy, but times when the stress becomes unbearable. Would you be present in those homes, Lord, protecting the vulnerable, sustaining and helping? And would you bring people to our minds by your Holy Spirit so that we can reach out? Lord, we thank you for sons and daughters, for the ways that they are already embedded in the homes and lives of people who need support. Thank you for MCC and for the ways that they partner with vulnerable people to walk alongside them in the name of Christ. And thank you for our church, for the ways that we demonstrate and seek your presence in this city, for the ways that we gather, for the ways that we seek to join you as you make all things new. And together we say, Lord, hear our prayers. This last bit of prayer, I'm going to leave a bit of space now for you to pray, but I'm going to invite you to speak out loud your prayers at the same time. We know that God hears our prayers, so rather than leaving space for you to pray silently together, I'm going to leave space for you to pray out loud together at the same time from where you are. You can whisper, or you can mutter, or you can speak loudly if you'd like or you can pray silently. Let's pray. together we say Lord hear our prayers Amen. well I am uh, delighted to be joined on stage by my friend Jamie Kudowitz Jamie's part of our Lakeview Church community she's also part of the team from hands at work in Africa now if you've been around Lakeview for any uh, matter of time you've heard of hands at work we have a long-standing relationship and uh, we are excited to be highlighting the relationship and our support of Hands at Work through our December giving campaign this year. So, Jamie, when I arrived at Lakeview about six years ago, I, I started hearing quite quickly about Hands at Work quite, all, quite often. And the relationship between Lakeview and Hands, it, it goes back many, many years. And so please tell us a little bit about the history of that relationship and and. What specifically that like long-term commitment has meant on the ground for, for the work that Hands at Work does in Africa? Yeah, um, Lakeview has been involved with Hands at Work in Africa and in particular in central Zambia for 12 years now, which is amazing thing to celebrate. And um, what we've seen through those years is just the development of communities um, and not just the development of communities, but of relationships. Um, we've seen how people's lives have been impacted both there and here. Um, and it has really made a huge difference. Um, 
the benefit of being a part of a partnership for so long is just that we've seen how the communities have, how the model of care has grown and developed. It's really wonderful. You know, the thing that I, I've come to really appreciate about um, the work that Hans the work does in Africa is, is the, is the multi-layers that actually like unifies together in like a network of support. We are, we are here in Saskatoon and we're resourcing something, but we can see there are many other people's stories that are involved in the transformation. So Jamie, just maybe talk to us a little bit more about how those different layers of support kind of come together to provide frontline help to those, those people in need. Yeah, I don't know if you guys caught it, but off the beginning of the video, it said the Belita lost 10 of her children. Um, and she was in the hut and she wasn't able to move most days. She wasn't able to get out of her hut. Um, and I think of her and I think, what does she need? She doesn't just need a package of food. She doesn't just need relief. And sometimes we think that what we're doing is we're just giving relief, but we're, we're building into um, a community so that they so that they can come around her and help her what she needed was a person someone a friend it was teresa to come and visit her and she said that she visited her every day um, to encourage her to help her to advocate on her behalf get her to the clinic to get the medicine that she needed to encourage her about caring for her granddaughters which she wanted to do anyways um, but she needed somebody to help her to do that. So the model that has grown up in Chibouli and that Lakeview has been a part of um, has directly impacted uh, Grandmother Belita's life and, and others. Which is amazing. And I'm, I'm humbled hearing the story. The thing that I find really encouraging, though, is this recognition of, again, that we can gather here as a community and be aware there are needs in the world that we cannot personally respond to, but we can be a part of God's kind of chain reaction of lives being impacted. And we know that there have been some from our community who've actually had the privilege to go and meet some of the care workers and meet some of the community members in Southern Africa and see up close the work that Hands at Work does. But for most of us, we cherish these stories because it's a reminder that we can actually be a part of that story of transformation. We can be a part of that story of building up a community as we give to the work that Hands of Work does. So, Jamie, I just want to say thank you so much. We as a church have been so blessed and privileged by your presence in our community. You and Lynn together have really opened our eyes to the need of the world and also to the ways that we can get involved. And so thank you so much for coming and sharing. Would you please give Jamie a round of applause? Thank you. Thank you so much. So we are excited again to support Hands at Work along with the other uh, projects in our December giving projects. And so we invite you to give generously this season. And here's a summary of what those giving projects look like. We are hoping to raise in total $355,000, which is a large ask we recognize, but we ask in faith. And so the first $55,000 that we raise will go towards our global and lo local projects. So $40,000 will support the ongoing relationship that we have with Hands at Work in Africa, making sure that those communities that are of the like, greatest vulnerability have the support they need to not only like, have their physical needs met, but for the community to be strengthened around them, which is so important. $10,000 to support the work of sons and daughters that's activated here in our community in Saskatoon. And it's really cool because as we heard, the model for sons and daughters providing care for the foster care system is actually inspired by what's been happening in Africa for many, many years. And so, so incredible that we can be a part of a, both a global and local effort that's surrounding communities and people in need. 
And then $5,000 supporting MCC Saskatchewan with their Indigenous Neighbours program, working towards truth and reconciliation, which is very important to our heart as a church community. And again, $300,000 is our, is our December offering target. Our, our, our regular tithes and offerings for the month of December has historically been around that amount. And so we're putting that number before our community with transparency, recognizing it's a big ask, but we do believe that important things are happening and we can all be a part of that work as we give together. So, so far of our $355,000, we have raised $59,000. So we still have a ways to go, which means there are opportunities for you to join in. If you would like to give, you can do so online at our website. You can give by texting. You can give at the give boxes or at the info desk with cash or check. And we do thank you so much. As we know, these are unusual times we are in, and we appreciate your generosity as you give towards these projects we believe are near and dear to God's heart. Just a couple more announcements before we get to our message. Uh, first off, in a few days, there's an exciting event happening that we like to call Christmas Eve. And we are very excited that we get to join together in person to read scripture, to retell the birth of Jesus, to light candles, and to sing together and celebrate the coming of Christ. Now, we do recognize that the current state of the pandemic is raising the anxiety among some of our community, and we understand that. We appreciate that. And we have heard from many of you personally as you've reached out to us and you've asked us about our plans and you've offered your input. And I just want to say we actually value that. We receive that. We want to make our decisions in a way that reflects the collective sort of like input of our community as much as we can. I have also reached out to other church leaders in Saskatoon just to get a sense of what others are doing. Um, from what I've gathered, uh, there are not many other larger churches that have actually imposed their own restrictions on gatherings. And so we have done that and we do feel good about that decision. And so just to give you a sense of what you can expect at Christmas Eve. We will remain, uh, continue to have like the reserve seating in the upper balcony. So every other row will be marked off. Uh, the front sections will be more open space. You can seat as you are comfortable. Uh, we will not be serving refreshments in the lobby as we have done in previous years, but the cafe will be open. We will have some other opportunities for connecting and relationship, but we recognize introducing food just uh, makes things a little bit more challenging. Um, we also would just like invite everyone to consider there are many ways you can access rapid tests uh, on your own and we would encourage everyone to consider just uh, being uh, prudent and taking a test and to ensure that you're not introducing um, infection into our community. We would really appreciate that. Also, we will have an online version of the service available at 6 p.m. on the 24th and so if you would rather um, enjoy that with family or friends of a smaller gathering, you can do so in that way. Um, just one uh, note is that we do uh, only have space available in our 6 o'clock service. So the 3 uh, and 4.30 services are full to capacity. And so also, if you have registered and you're maybe reconsidering that you maybe think it's not wise for you to attend, we would just ask that you would actually log in and cancel your registration or email the office because we do want to make sure that there's space for everybody who does want to come and join us in person. If you have any questions about this, I'll be available after the service. I'd be happy to talk with you more about it. Then on December 26th, we will not have a Sunday service. We invite you to use the opportunity to gather with friends and family and to enjoy some communal gathering in that way. And then we'll be back on January 2nd for one service 
at 11 o'clock a.m. This will be a one-off service. Recommit as we jump into a new year together, 2022, before jumping into our new teaching series, Reclaim, on January 9th, where we are diving into the conversation around polarization. Is that a thing anybody's feeling is present in our world? I think I'm feeling it. So we're looking forward to having some guests lead us through that conversation. Uh, and then finally, as always, we do want to help you get involved. So if you want to get connected, lakeviewchurch.com slash connect is the way you can go to get more involved in our community. Okay, I think it's time maybe stretch our legs and uh, say hello to those around you as you feel comfortable. You can wave, you can give a fist bump if you like, but feel free to greet those as you feel comfortable. Welcome to our last Sunday of Advent. Um, last winter, a little bit before, like um, more than a year ago, um, I was walking my dog on a dark Saturday night, and I live in Briarwood, and I was kind of stumbling around the Briarwood Lake, uh, watching my step carefully when one of my AirPods fell out. It was November, so, and it was like 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night, and the path around the lake, if you live in Briarwood, you know it's not lit. I probably shouldn't have been walking there, but I was. So I got my phone out and turned my flashlight on and started looking for the AirPod, but there was one little glitch in that plan. I had a Wally, and if you don't know what a Wally is, this is what a Wally is. He's super cute, but he's not super cooperative. So I decided to take him home and then drive my car back to the site and have another look. I brought a big flashlight this time, had a good look all around, didn't find the AirPod. The next morning, I went back to the site in daylight to look for the AirPod again. No dice. I put an alert on Briarwood's Facebook page asking anyone who found it to message me, and nobody answered. But it's not really a surprise that we couldn't find the AirPod because, uh, like, let me explain. So if you've never seen an AirPod, this is what an AirPod looks like. It's a little device that you stick in your ear. It's white. You listen to your NPR podcasts and your sad, depressing music, if you're me, while you walk the dog. As you can see, it's small and it's white. Now, you've all seen snow because you live here, but for the purposes of this exercise, let me show you what snow looks like. Snow looks like that. So it's white stuff, it falls from the sky from around November, October, maybe September, all the way till maybe April. We're all super familiar with snow. So this is what an AirPod looks like on snow. There was no way that I was finding that thing. But over the winter months, I kept looking. I took the same route over and over. I created a habit of being on the lookout for that lost earpiece. And eventually, every time I came around the top of the lake at Briarwood, I would automatically look down and start looking for that missing earpiece. Then spring came. The snow melted, the tulips started to peek out of the ground, Easter came and went, and I kept walking and looking. And on April 13th, five months after I lost that AirPod, I went around the top of the lake in Briarwood, looked down out of habit, and saw this. Do you see it there? I found my AirPod after looking probably, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 times for it. I took it home, I cleaned it off, 
I charged it up and it still worked. The habit of looking, of keeping my eyes open, paid off. I found what I was looking for. You see, one of the problems with looking for an AirPod in the winter, right, is that you can't see it. White AirPod, white snow, same color. What I needed was some contrast in order to discern that little earpiece against the background. Contrast has always been one of God's most persuasive teaching tools. Think. If our lives were all milk and honey, contentment and pleasure, a 10 on a scale of 1 to 10, the 10 would have no meaning. It would provide nothing to indicate a scale of values. The light seems brighter when it is contrasted with the darkness. Advent is all about contrast. In this dark season, we look for light. We attune our hearts and our minds and our eyes to look in the midst of darkness for the light, for hope, for peace, for joy. And the darkness helps us discern these things, the real thing, from the other things that just appear to share their color. The darkness helps us recognize the light for what it is and see the light where it is. So we've lit the candles of hope, of peace, and of joy. And each Sunday, we've entered into our worship service just struggling with and examining what does hope look like? What does peace look like? What does joy look like? And this week, we struggle with what love looks like. How do we attune our hearts to love? What is the color of love? How do we recognize it? Where do we find it? What is love? Anyone get that joke? Yeah. This season feels full of the noise of love. Trying to discern what it is and where it is in the midst of all the noise sometimes feels impossible. Like, is love like the holiday? A Christmas movie that I watched last weekend where the protagonist finally proclaims her love for her occasional hookup while she stands on stage with Santa in the middle of a bustling mall? Nope. Looks like an AirPod, it's just no. Or is love like that Beyonce and Jay-Z ad that keeps like popping up on our Instagram feed? Anybody seen that? I finally watched it this week, and this minute and a half long ad entitled About Love shows Beyonce sporting gorgeous Tiffany jewelry while a very handsome tuxedo Jay-Z like meets her in a beautiful home or in a beautiful car. Love is represented by, get this, a 128.54 carat yellow diamond draped across Beyonce's shoulders. Enough of us have diamond rings hidden away in drawers at home to know that's just no. That's not an AirPod. It's hard to define love. Sometimes I wonder if we would know it if we saw it. Our culture has commodified it and dressed it up as jewelry or Hallmark movies, forming us to believe that love only belongs to the beautiful, the rich, the lucky. Love is shiny and sparkly. 
But the Christian story tells us something different about love. Your first thought might be 1 Corinthians 13, that love passage we hear at every wedding. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not self-seeking. It does not boast. It is not proud. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. It's a beautiful passage, but it doesn't really define love. It tells us what love looks like. What is love? How do we define it? Well, as soon as we start trying to nail down love into a one-line definition, it, right away it starts getting away from us. There's always more. Love is always bigger. There's always something else we can say about it. Defining love is like trying to pull the zipper closed on a too tightly packed suitcase. You know, you try to close one side and your PJs start to come out the other side. And then you go to that side to close it and your curling iron comes popping out that side. Love is too big to stuff in a suitcase. Love is too big to boil down to one sentence. Defining love is a little like defining God, which actually I think gets us somewhere because, in fact, that is the definition of love. God. God is love, and love is God. Love is not just one of the qualities of God. Love is what God is. And if God is love and love is God, then we start to discover a little more about what love is when we talk about God. Because love is never not what God is, and God is never not what love is. Maybe if we replace the word God with love, we can discover a little bit more about what love is. Love created the world and called it good. Love is on task to restore the whole world. Love's story is told in the scriptures. Love sustains us. Love never leaves us or forsakes us. Love transforms us. Love knows our name. Love cares about injustice. Love forgives. Love was there at the beginning and love will be there at the end. Love is a person. Love is incarnate in Jesus. So we're getting closer to the arrival of Jesus, to Christmas Day, this waiting, this season, or the season of waiting, the season, season of Advent is coming to an end. And it's appropriate that the last week of our waiting, we would light the candle of love. Because as we get closer to God incarnate, to the arrival of Jesus, we get closer to love. Because we cannot define love in a sentence, but we can see love in a person. Because Jesus shows us what God is like and God is love, then if we want to know what love looks like, we look at Jesus. So what does love look like in Jesus? Or in particular, what does love look like in the incarnation? How does love show up? What does the incarnation, Jesus' arrival, teach us about how to look for love and where to see love? In this season of Advent, as we read this part of the story of love, what does this part of the story, Jesus' birth, show us about how to prepare 
for the coming of love into the world. How does this get, help us get a grasp on what love is? Well, here's part of the story. Listen to these passages. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Gabriel appeared to her, to Mary, and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. 1 John 4, one of the readings for our Advent series for this week, says this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. The very first words spoken to prepare for the arrival of love are, do not be afraid. And first, John says that fear and love cannot occupy the same space. Love drives out fear. So how does love arrive in the incarnation? Well, love arrives in the form of a baby, the most vulnerable human life form that a human can take. Love drives out fear by, by inviting us to meet love through vulnerability. Think about how the vulnerability of others calls us to connect, calls us to love. We are never more human than when we are meeting another person in their vulnerability. So think about those good news stories that we all read on Twitter and Instagram. These are always stories of people meeting other people or creatures in their vulnerability. So someone needs help across the street and someone stops their car and stops traffic and helps that person across the street. Good news story. We love that. It gives us hope when we see that story. An abandoned dog needs saving and someone takes them. I watch those ones all the time. You watch the dog grow back fur and get loving and not scared anymore. A school custodian doesn't have a vehicle, so the students and the teachers raise money and buy him a car. A person is caught in a flood and bystanders form a human chain and they pull them out of the water. Vulnerability invites us to face our fear and to respond to one another in love. Vulnerability is an invitation to love. And on the flip side, fear blocks our responsiveness to others. Fear blocks love. When we are afraid of how we're going to appear to others, afraid of losing control of our lives or our schedules, when we're afraid of revealing our true selves, afraid of how we'll be received, afraid of harm or death or suffering, we cannot love. 
When we are controlled by fear, we cannot be controlled by love. So this summer I was at Home Depot and I was taking some bedding plants home. I was just getting back into my car to go head home. Remember that summer bedding plants? Coming back, you guys. Uh, and there was a commotion behind my vehicle that caught my attention. So a man in a truck had flagged down a man in a car. And as I listened to their interaction, I realized that the man in the car had pulled out of his parking spot and scraped the car beside him, damaging it. And the man in the truck had seen this happen, followed the man in the car and pulled him over to tell him to go and make it right. So they had this conversation and then the man in the truck drove away and the man in the car pulled into the parking spot beside me. And uh, the driver's door opened and out from the car emerged a very fragile old gentleman. And immediately inside of me, this war began. This man reminded me of my own vulnerable dad who likely had a license longer than he should have. I thought in my head, maybe this man doesn't even know that he hit the car, or if he did hit the car, maybe he didn't know what to do, he didn't know who to call for help, maybe his daughter is a province away and can't come and help him and rescue him. So I wanted to stop and help, but then also I had a busy day. And I was afraid that if I stopped and helped, it might be hours before I got back on track with my schedule. Also, what if he was a grumpy man and he didn't want my help? So I was a little bit afraid of being rejected. So I pulled out of the parking lot and headed home. And all the way from Home Depot on Clarence to the Preston overpass, I struggled with whether I should go back. Finally, when I hit the Preston overpass, banged my steering wheel. Find Jesus, I will go back. When I went back to Home Depot, I walked the parking lot a couple of times. I went into the store, but I couldn't find the man. His car was still there, but I couldn't find him. I had let fear trump love. I had missed the call of love incarnated in this vulnerable uh, moment because of my busyness and preoccupation. But what better way for love to show up in my life, right? In the form of a man, just like my own father, in the form of vulnerability. God shows up completely vulnerable. What better way can love express to us that there is no reason to fear? There is no fear in love. And so, where is fear keeping you from love? Where does your need to control or to maintain your image or your need for security or safety keep you from answering the invitation of love? Pay attention to the places where people are revealing their vulnerability to you, inviting you to move beyond your fear. Where are the elderly gentlemen in your life. Train your eyes to look for the unlikely, like looking for an air pod in the snow. How is love incarnating in your life, inviting you to look in overlooked places? Jesus shows us that love is not a 128-carat diamond. Love doesn't come flashy. 
it comes vulnerable. And love doesn't only show up in vulnerability, love invites us too to be vulnerable. You see, the irony of these overlooked places is that our fearful spots are often the overlooked places in us where love is asking to be embodied in our lives. Listen to this. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. So Mary's response to this impending arrival, to the angel's invitation to not be afraid, was surrender. The place of fear actually became the place where love grew. God incarnated in the baby Jesus in vulnerability, and Mary in turn responded to this by making herself vulnerable. She let love take up literal space in her body, in her life. Love is embodied in vulnerability in Jesus, and then love calls us to embody that love in our own vulnerability. Where we are fearful is often where we are most vulnerable. Fear wants to protect our soft spots, the places actually where love wants to plant and grow. It requires surrender, but when we let go of fear, love blossoms in its place. And so this week, as you look for love, Pay attention to particularly to where you see or feel fear. Pay attention to the contrast. How might love be asking for space where fear resists it? How might fear be a clue right there that there is vulnerability that is the perfect spot for love to grow? There is so much more that we could say about love. I read so many books about love this week. But remember, love is like a lost AirPod. It's out there, but it can be camouflaged. Keep looking for it. Go looking for it. Keep your eyes open. Often love reveals itself when things are darkest. It's the lesson of contrast. Love is an elderly man in a parking lot. Don't miss the invitation. Don't let fear drown out the invitation of love. Don't miss it because you're so busy looking for something that sparkles. Love is also like a curling iron in a suitcase. There's so much of it, it just keeps squeezing out. There's always more than we can contain. There is more than enough. So we can miss love's invitation sometimes, but it always comes back around. And never, ever forget that love is a baby. Love came vulnerable in the most vulnerable human form that we can take. And love asks us to be vulnerable too. Mm -hmm.